celibacy for Judaism will never be a spiritual ideal. If Jews continue to have weddings and mark Jewish marriages and form Jewish families, be it in Babylon or Persia or Poland or Morocco or Manhattan, then Judaism would continue and the Jewish people would endure. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 152, The First Jewish Diaspora. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. Several years ago, a dear friend of mine from the Jewish community in Spain took me on a trip to Catalonia and to Girona. We came in memory of what was once there, Rabbi Moses ben Nachman Nachmanides, who was forced to leave Spain in 1267, as well as his Jewish brethren, who ultimately left Spain years later. Hauntingly, as you walk in those streets of Girona, you see on several houses holes made in the doorposts. These were carved out centuries ago for the placing of parchments, mezuzot, and it was a reminder that as the Jews left Spain in 1492, and as the Jews left Girona even earlier than that following pogroms that took place, they took their scrolls, their mezuzot, with them. And I was reminded of a comment by Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch, reflecting how the Torah instructs that even when at rest, the Ark of the Covenant must always have its carrying poles attached to it. The Ark, he said, contained the tablets, the Torah. The eternal placing of the poles illustrates a fact of Jewish life, that no matter where we go, we bear the Torah with us. Even in exile, Judaism continues. Looking back over thousands of years of Jewish history, we understand now how the story of the Jewish people and the Jewish faith endured. But it is the biblical book that we are now studying that allows us to understand that Jews found the will and commitment to continue, at least in part because of the guidance of Jeremiah the prophet. Let us set the stage for the remarkable chapter that we study today. Babylonia descends, and, as the book of Chronicles recounts, first King Jehoiakim is taken prisoner, and then, soon after, his son Jehoiah is taken with the Judean elite to Babylon. Though the temple still stands, this is truly the first exile of the kingdom of Judah. The gifted visionaries that we will meet in exile are from families that departed at this moment, including Daniel and Ezekiel, as well as the parents of Mordechai and Esther. As these Jews find themselves so many miles away from their homeland for the first time in their lives, Jeremiah, who is still in Jerusalem, sends them words of instruction. This brings us to the absolutely incredible 29th chapter of Jeremiah, one which will have enormous influence on Jewish history. To those that went to Babel with King Yochonia, Jeremiah explains that Jerusalem will fall and that their exile will last for 70 years. But meanwhile, Jeremiah adds, Judaism can and must continue. The Jews must seek the well-being of the polity in which they find themselves, but they must simultaneously seek Judaic continuity. Verse 4, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Build ye houses and dwell in them, and plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city whither I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. Jeremiah, in other words, is telling his exiled brethren that they will be in Babel for some time but that they can constitute a Jewish community there. He then adds that all promises that they have heard of Jerusalem being instantaneously saved will be in vain, but that ultimately return will occur. 
verse 8. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which ye cause to be dreamed, for they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, that after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. Though this is often missed, Jeremiah's letter to the exiles in Babel marks one of the great moments in the history of ideas and is, without question, one of the turning points in the Jewish story. The import and implications of Jeremiah 29 served as the foundation for by Jonathan Sachs's Erasmus Lecture in 2013, organized by First Things Magazine. We have sent you the link to the entire talk, but for today's podcast, I will cite one central part. Here is what Rabbi Sachs said, quote, At this distance of time, it can be hard for us to realize how revolutionary this was. Religions until then were inextricably linked to geographically, politically, culturally, and linguistically defined spaces. That is what the exiles meant when they said, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If your nation was defeated, it meant your God had been defeated, and you accepted that defeat graciously or otherwise. If you went into exile as the northern kingdom had done a century and a half earlier, then you assimilated into the majority culture and became one, or in that case, ten of history's lost tribes. Only a unique configuration of ideas, Rabbi Sachs went on, made Jeremiah's vision possible. The first idea was monotheism. If God was everywhere, then he could be accessed anywhere, even by the waters of Babylon. The second, Rabbi Sachs continued, was belief in the sovereignty of the God of history over all other powers. Until then, if a people were conquered, it meant the defeat of a nation and its God. For the first time, in Jeremiah's telling of the Babylonian conquest of Israel, the defeat of a nation is understood as being accomplished by its God. God was still supreme. Babylon was merely the instrument of his wrath. A people could suffer defeat and keep its faith intact. The third, Rabbi Sachs further said, was the belief that God kept his faith intact. He would not break his word, his covenant with Israel, however many times Israel broke its covenant with God. He could be relied on to honor his promise just as he had when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. In the future, as in the past, he would bring his people back to their land. So, Rabbi Sachs concluded, Jeremiah, like all the prophets, was ultimately a voice of hope. The prophetic message is always if the people return to God, then God will return to the people, and the people will return to their land. Only hope can sustain a minority in exile, and only a transcendent God above all principalities and powers can guarantee that hope, even if it takes centuries or millennia to be fulfilled. Jeremiah's letter became the basis of Jewish hope for survival in the diaspora for 26 centuries until today, a fraught, risk-laden, and tenuous survival to be sure, but a remarkable one nonetheless." End quote. Rabbi Sachs is eloquent and correct. And because this chapter truly embodies the first biblical instruction to a Jewish diaspora, Jeremiah 29 is therefore one of the most influential passages in Jewish history. The prophet's instructions set the stage for the flourishing of the Jews of Babylon, a community which will produce the Babylonian Talmud, the most important non-scriptural text 
in the story of Judaism, and, in my admittedly biased view, the most intellectually impressive work created by human beings anywhere in the history of the written word. That the Babylonian Talmud is created outside of the land of Israel, while still focusing so much of its intellectual attention and emotional yearning toward the Holy Land, is, I think, a testament to Jeremiah's vision. Rabbi Sachs credits Jeremiah with showing the Jewish people how they can exist as what he called creative minorities within a larger commonwealth. Rabbi Sachs is correct, but I believe that Jeremiah is also telling us something much simpler, but also profoundly fundamental. In telling Israelites in exile to marry, plant, build homes, the prophet, I think, is alluding to Deuteronomy, to a passage where soldiers who have not yet formed families and created households are exempted from certain forms of military service. This is Deuteronomy 25. And the officers shall speak unto the people, saying, What man is there that hath built a new house and hath not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in battle, and another man dedicate it. And what man is he that hath planted a vineyard and hath not yet eaten of it? Let him also go and return unto his house, lest he die in the battle and another man eat of it. And what man is there that hath betrothed a wife and hath not yet married her? Let him go and return unto his house, lest he die in the battle and another man marry her. Thus Deuteronomy instructs that those who have not yet set up a flourishing family with a spouse, a house, and a vineyard, an agricultural source of sustenance and joy, are exempt from at least certain forms of service in the army, exempt from certain forms of service to the polity. That this exemption appears in Deuteronomy, in the most political of biblical books, is a striking assertion of the Hebraic insight that family is the foundation of Israel's identity, and that even more than political power, it is marriage and children that are key to continuity. Jeremiah, in referencing back to that passage, is telling the members of the first Jewish diaspora, and in a certain sense the Jews of all exiles to follow, that if they continue to raise Jewish families, then exile cannot destroy the Jewish people. This is especially striking because Jeremiah himself, still in Jerusalem, had been commanded by God not to marry as a public demonstration of the fate of the Holy Land. Jeremiah is thus saying not to follow his example, and his guidance, his instructions to the first Jewish diaspora will thus impact profoundly all other Jewish diasporas. Celibacy for Judaism will never be a spiritual ideal. If Jews continue to have weddings and mark Jewish marriages and form Jewish families, be it in Babylon or Persia or Poland or Morocco or Manhattan, then Judaism would continue and the Jewish people would endure. We have to reflect on the astonishing influence of Jeremiah's vision. It was at the wedding of the son of my Jewish friend from Spain that I was honored with the reading of the Ketubah. And this Ketubah, as I believe I've mentioned before, was special. It was a version used by Jews from Morocco and Gibraltar who had utilized this text for over 500 years since their expulsion from Spain. In that tradition, the Ketubah was not actually read under the chuppah, it was sung to highlight their joy at the Union. So the family had a rabbi in Spain record a version of his singing the Ketubah text, and for weeks I listened to the Ketubah and sang it to myself wherever I went. Then I had to stand and sing it at the wedding, which took place in Florida, in front of hundreds of people. And I don't mind telling you, ladies and gentlemen, that I did a pretty great job. And the Ketubah concluded with the words, All has been performed according to the traditions and laws of the holy community that has been exiled from Castile. May God keep their souls safe and bestow grace and mercy on the remnant of their exiles. And I stood there singing the Ketubah and thought to myself, here we are today, celebrating a Jewish marriage, marking a joyous moment. 
using the same words of the exiles of Spain that had been utilized over hundreds of years. The empire of Ferdinand and Isabella is gone, but the Jews they expelled reflected the Jewish ability to follow Jeremiah's advice wherever they went, to build new homes after old ones were demolished, to create holiness in a new land after they were exiled from the last. All this, I think, can be traced to Jeremiah's message, and we are now able to understand why seeing Jeremiah first and foremost as a prophet of doom is so profoundly unfair. Every achievement in exile throughout our history, the very endurance of Judaism in exile, can be traced to this man who rightly understood is the prophet of hope, inspiration, and return. We are all to this day in Jeremiah's debt. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.